Today on Red Bull Weekly, as New York is right in the middle of a playoff push in 2021, we get to reflect and catch up with former New York legend goalkeeper Luis Robles with Connor Lade. This is Matt Harmon from the New York Red Bull Radio Network. It's time for another episode of our podcast series, Red Bull Weekly. Right in the middle of a playoff chase for the New York Red Bulls, we get an opportunity today on our Red Bulls Weekly Podcast brought to you by NJIT to spend some time with a former teammate of Connor and club legend, that is Luis Robles. Connor, right now, think of it from so many different perspectives. I saw today is the anniversary of the 2013 Supporter Shield team. Uh, as you and I record this one, we'll have Luis on. You guys were part of so many great, victories the three supporter shields 13 15 18 a lot of special moments with the two of you together yeah uh the the good old days i think that's been uh you know having someone that i came into the league luis wasn't far behind me when he came on the team uh coming over from germany and i think definitely clicked right away with luis he he's such a down-to-earth guy um very interesting in the way he approaches life. Obviously, a super professional guy, but great off the field. Ha- loves to have fun. Is always uh, down to do stuff with the guys. And I think he, he obviously an immense talent. I think that's you, have you know. To- yeah, I was just gonna say, Connor. You think of it from from so many different levels and perspectives. The way that people cross paths is so interesting. I mean, his story has been obviously documented um, over the time of him being a player and now even actually still in retirement. You know, this was a guy that was ready to be done with soccer completely. He comes to Red Bull. You guys are in need of a goalie all of a sudden, and he begins his career and then for years never misses a game. Yeah, I think that's been the craziest part of Luis's journey. I mean, he was getting ready to be a real estate agent. You know, he he had other job opportunities that he was exploring, you know, going back to Arizona, who knows what that was going to look like for him. And, you know, just taking a chance coming to New York. Uh, obviously Ryan went down and we needed, uh, you know, some goalkeeper help. I had Bill Gaudet and Luis comes in and just made the job his own. I think he just absolutely started with a clean slate. You know, I think that's probably what made him so good in the beginning is that it was, he's thinking this is his last shot and he's got to make the most of it. And clearly, uh, making the most of it's an understatement the way he performed so incredibly for the club for so many years. And not only on the field, but off the field, he's an incredible person, Um, such a role model for young goalkeepers coming up through through the club and really in in the U.S. Um, And really just I mean, it's it's pretty amazing going from where he started to where he ended up. It's a pretty wild trajectory. You know, you mentioned a guy that um, well-liked by his teammates would always kind of mix with everybody off the field. But when he stepped off the field from a media perspective, he was very quiet, very cerebral in in the way that he talked and discussed things. But you guys as teammates probably saw him in a completely different light. Yeah, Luis in front of the camera is probably the person that you never worry about with media training. He's the one who could probably put on those classes for you in the beginning of the year. And you're more so worry about the other, some of the other guys in the locker room. 
but yeah, there's definitely a different side of Luis, you know, when he turns off that, uh, I guess, I, I don't know what side of him that is, but I guess his, the John Gasparoni comm side of things, he, he really had a, a, not like totally different by any means, but super, you know, always joking around. Um, but the best part about Luis, because he had that, you know, the humor to him and, you know, always joking around with the guys, but when it was time for a tough conversation, you know, Luis was that person. And that would make a great leader, having the both sides of things. And he wasn't afraid to call it anyone in the locker room. Obviously, if you weren't doing what you're supposed to be doing on the field, off the field, he would let you know, which is every good leader should do. And address you personally. Is There's no going behind anyone. There's no going to the coaches, mentioning things. He comes to you directly. And that's what I always envied about Luis. He was straight to the point, but also – you know, had the, had the best balance of, uh, you know, being a great guy off the field that you could always joke around with. And obviously his, his performances on the field. I mean, we could talk a whole segment about kind of what he did on the field. I, I can't wait to talk to him about a couple of those memories along the way, but I mean, his, his highlight reel is, is quite extensive. Bring it full circle, Connor, before we, we take a break and then we'll bring Luis in. Um, you see this Red Bull team right now in 2021 going through a playoff chase and trying to get themselves into the postseason and hopefully make a run to a championship. You guys had had those moments. And I would almost think from a, a, a player who's not far removed like yourself, like Luis, you can see teams that go through these playoff runs and playoff chases and for you still connected with the team the way you are it almost kind of keeps keeps it alive as a former player absolutely and I think that's I mean you can talk about it at nauseum is you just have to get hot late and if you want to make any real run at things in the in the postseason and obviously to get in the postseason right now for for Red Bulls but I think our our best years was when you turn it on right now and can start piecing things together and you go on a stretch where you're just in good form, uh, you're getting good results, especially on the road, which this Red Bull team has been incredibly dominant on the road in the past month. And I think that's, you know, some of the best moments we've had is when we could turn it on the road. We know that it's it's coming into playoff time where you need to start sharpening, uh, sharpening your tools in the chest. And that's what this team's done. I'm sure Luis can talk to that a bit as well, but it's it's very impressive with the, the run of form that they're having right now. And it's definitely reminiscent of some of uh, years past with the form that they're in right now. And hopefully knock on wood, keep that form going, get in the playoffs and really make some noise. No doubt about that would be uh, certainly a, a great way to uh, end what has been such a difficult stretch with COVID and give people something to look forward to come postseason. We're going to step out here and take a quick break. When we come back on the other side of this timeout, we'll be joined by Luis Robles, former Red Bull goalkeeper and former teammate of Connor Lade. This is Red Bull Weekly, brought to you by New Jersey Institute of Technology. New York Red Bulls Weekly, brought to you in part by the New Jersey Institute of Technology. NJIT makes industry-ready engineers in more than 20 fields. If it's engineering, it's at NJIT. Number one of the nation for student upward economic mobility. Learn more at NJIT.com. EDU. Back after our break on Red Bull Weekly and excited, as we just talked about, going into that timeout, being able to spend some time catching up with Luis Robles, who is here as our guest with Connor Laid. I'm Matt Harmon. Uh, Luis, first and foremost, thanks for giving us some time. Was just talking to Connor before we went to the break. As we record this one today, it's the anniversary of winning the Shield 
in 2013. Didn't know if you knew that this was the no, day uh, that you guys had won it back in 13. And I, I, I'm going to take you there right away. Yeah, I was going to say I'm going to take you there right away. Just just mm-hmm. memories of that season um, in, in what was a, a crazy year for you guys as a team. And as you said, bringing home that piece of hardware. Mm-hmm. OK, sounds great. That's a, a great memory. What, when you think of it, how how quick can you flash back to 2013? Oh, right away. Right away. Um, I remember I made a mistake. And I gave up a rebound in a bad spot. Mike McGee tapped it in. And in my mind, like, oh, crap. Like, I hope that's not the reason why we don't win our first piece of silverware. And then we're going to hear about this curse. And you just always hear about some of the things that are really not that important to you as a player. But it somehow echoes in your mind as the game is going on. But then Thierry scored that incredible goal from about 35 yards out where the ball sort of bounced up perfectly. And he half volleyed it upper V. And then the floodgates opened because I believe we won 5-2. I actually tore my MCL in that game. Yeah, so one of the one of the last plays, Ibrahim Sakaya landed. I think it was actually on the goal. So we just conceded 5-2. And it was like, it was very late, right? I think there was only a couple of minutes left. And Ibrahim uh, landed on my knee and he tore my MCL, grade two MCL tear. So I... You know, didn't train at all going into the playoffs. And I believe we played DC and I, but it was a great memory. It was an incredible memory. Uh, the the memory that I have that's really fond to me was Fernando when he lifted up the shield and what an incredible experience that must have been for him. Yeah. Which absolutely. I hear he's you know, retiring. So- I hear he's, this is it for him, right? This so when, when the team played in Miami – I went to the game and I got to speak with him afterwards and he told me that he's retiring, which is a wild thought because he's, he's employee number one. He's been there from the very beginning. Absolutely. Club legend. And I think that's, uh, I know he was, you know, going to retire last year. And obviously during the COVID year, he was like, you know, no, who would do that? What we got to come do? back and run it back. You know, Poppy, we, Padrino needs a full send off at RBA. You know, yeah. you what, what moron would retire in the COVID year? You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it's funny that you mentioned that Lu, funny that you mentioned that Luis because I think one yeah. of us on the podcast did that yeah that's right how, how difficult did. was it for you to go through that process and then make that decision uh, to me it was simple to me it was, it was really simple um, I, I think a lot of people look at the way it all ended I did break my arm against New York City FC and thought that that was what ended my career um, but actually I decided I was going to retire in the summer. Um, I think leaving Red Bull in my mind, I already thought that I wasn't going to hold on to the last bit. I didn't really see myself as a guy that wanted to play in, until he couldn't play anymore. Um, I just always saw myself as a guy that would rather retire a year early than a year too late. And I think with all my work at the Players Association, I was really excited for the next chapter to, to be a part of the business that is professional soccer. And when we negotiated the new deal going into the season, I thought that was incredible. It was, it was really a seminal moment when it comes to the relationship between the league and the PA and then COVID happened. And then everyone learned about force majeure and we learned about the process and there's a lot of angry people And as we had to figure out how to renegotiate in the middle of COVID, I was on the phone from 8 a.m. until 10 p.m. 
because of guys on the, the West Coast talking to 50 to 70 players a day. And it was during that process where I felt like I was making a difference that I wanted to retire. Um, I wanted to see what it was like to be on the other side, to be really affecting the game in a positive manner. But on the other side of the table, from the business standpoint, and I had told my wife and, and she right away was like, no, we want to see you play longer and my kids. And that's the part that I think affects me still. I don't miss the game at all. I don't miss training. There's not a single part of me that misses playing professionally. Um, but I do think that my kids miss me playing. And and we went to um, an Inter-Miami game. Oh, yeah, it was against Red Bull. We went to Inter-Miami game against Red Bull. And I could tell, like, my kids really missed that week in, week out, going to the stadium, seeing dad play, staying until late because I was always one of the last ones. But then that gave the opportunity for my kids to play on the field. I mean, the amount of memories they have in the, the Red Bull locker room as well as the pitch at RBA uh, is truly special. So I think that portion I do miss. But the game in and of itself, being a professional, no, uh, not a single not a single percent of me feels that at all. Yeah, I think I I feel you there for sure. Obviously, I mean, I think they're still repairing holes in RBA from Eli and Ryan Wright Phillips running around there and 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 the Hamlet boys. And, and then uh, what do you call it? Emily on the TRX, right? The TRX Just spinning around. Yeah, I mean, one of my I don't favorite know. videos. I probably broke a lot of stuff in there as well, but I'm going to blame yeah. it on your kids for sure. Yeah, but, you should uh, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> it's amazing there are no serious injuries, right? When yeah. you consider all the stuff that's in that room and what the kids used, they used to destroy it. Whether yeah. it was Hamlet's kids or Jesse Marsh's kids or Chris Armas's kids, um, and then of course, like you said, Bradley's and mine, and they're also like big kids in there. They um, never seem to destroy anything, which was pretty remarkable. I remember. I mean, my friends would come there after games. They'd be playing just as hard with with yeah. your kids. So it was, yeah. it was great. But yeah. at least, I mean, do you remember that time when we came off the field? And because we had soccer tennis set up there and it was Tony Parker and his friend playing soccer tennis. Yeah. And they were sweating. Like they had to change and put on like Red Bull gear because it was such an intense game of soccer tennis. And they were there obviously because of Thierry to take in the game, but they were going at it. And it was a really high level actually. But I mean, Tony Parker just drenched. Right. And then I think the next day, a few of us went to the Spurs game against the Knicks. Yeah, I mean, he's a competitor, and obviously that's the type of pull that Thierry, it's a little bit different, you know, the, yeah. the last couple of years with the star power that comes in, in through the locker room. But, yeah, Thierry yeah. had that pull yeah. where you, you never know who's going to be showing up to the, to the games or in the locker room, so it's pretty wild. That's right. Yeah. Luis, you talk a little bit about the injuries and uh, obviously breaking your arm. Obviously you said that you mm. knew beforehand that you were going to retire, but and you talk about the MCL. I mean, you played through it, torn ACL. You are the Iron Man. <laughs> what was now? I, I actually am because I actually have like you know physical in my arm. Yeah, physical, emotional on our side. You are Iron Man. Mm-hmm. But what? Which one for you was the toughest to play through? Obviously, couldn't play through the arm. I think the ACL one was strange because I still don't feel it. All right, and even when I signed down in Inter Miami as a free agent, they wanted to they wanted to see the uh, the knee before they signed me. And they just thought that this is incredible. Like it, he doesn't have an ACL, but every test that we do, he's fine. Um, and it, it never really affected me. Even that whole week I trained before the Atlanta game, which I missed. Uh, I trained every day. And the, so the ACL hasn't affected me at all. I think the one that hurt the most, and I did share this maybe in a seeing red 
podcast is I tore my MCL again. So I tore my MCL four times. And um, on the last play of 2015, going into the playoffs, we were training and then training came to an end and Bradley said, hey, I'm going to kick the ball. And for whatever reason, eight yards away, I thought I'm going to save it. And I saved the ball and it, it ripped my labrum and my rotator cuff. So I haven't repaired that. Uh, so when Eli, my son, plays baseball now, I can't throw the ball very far. <laughs> um, so I, I've had a lot of injuries, but the one that hurt the most was another grade two tear on my MCL. And it, it was the the pants game. Right? <laughs> Do you remember this? It was yeah. the only game I ever wore pants. Yeah, it was. It was and it weird. worked out perfectly that it was in Vancouver. So it was turf. So at least it sort of made sense. And I couldn't move. I had a brace on. I could barely move. And Jesse was just like, no, like, you're going to play. And and Eric Hurtado had, I think, six 1v1s against me that game. <laughs> and I didn't save a single one. He just missed the goal. Yeah. And then we had one shot and Bradley scored. And we won 1-0. It was incredible. And then it went to international break. So we didn't have a game for 10 days and, and then I was fine. But that, that injury was, oof, that injury sucks. That one hurt a lot. If you're keeping track at home, let's say that's about what, four, four MCLs, torn four MCLs, from ACL, broken arm. ACL I mean, broken arm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. A few injuries. I mean, you make me. But that's know. what, that's what my teammate said is like, Hey, like you're sort of known as the Iron Man, And even in Miami, I wasn't known as the Iron Man, but. But they're like, you can't go out like this. Like you had such a great career and it was all about you never missing games. You can't go out like this. And I was like, honestly, like, like I'm totally fine. Like I'm at peace with this. Um, and even when I told my wife in the summer that I wanted to retire, like I said, she had pretty strong opposition to it. But I, my mind was made up. I, I was ready to see what was on the other side. Matt, I just got a one one thing. I know you're, you've got a question teed up, but I, I'm sorry I didn't address this right off the bat, but. The hair. Oh I, yeah. I've just been staring at your hair this entire podcast and just waiting to address the hair. I mean, walk us through it. I mean, I like, think I think most people thought I couldn't grow hair. Yeah. Right. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I think every time for the first few months of my retirement, my wife would post a picture on Instagram, and the only comment she got was like, "What's going on with Louise? Like, yeah. he can grow hair." Um, I think people were just a little dumbfounded that I had my head shaved for so long. And for me, it was, I just didn't want to worry about my hair. It, it just, like, I didn't want to have to like style it. I didn't have to worry about looking at it. I didn't want to have to wake up in the morning before I went to training and, and worry about my hair. But then now it's the next chapter of my life. And I feel like as I reinvent myself in the business world, it was time to also change some things. And I've lost 20 pounds. Like, I think I'm under 190 now. Um, whereas when I was playing, I was consistently, it was always a battle. Tony knew I always ran away from, uh, whenever I'd weigh in. Yeah. (laughs) Whenever I'd weigh in, I ran away. Um, but I was supposed to be playing at 205, but I was always closer to 210. And so now I'm, I'm right about 190 and and I start growing hair. So that's part of the reinvention of of where we're at right now. Well, you probably would have had a ton more problems because you were always at training from before everyone got there till like at least two hours after everyone left. So Kara probably would have had some serious problems with you if you had to worry about styling your hair as well. So, Oh yeah. Can you imagine? A whole other dynamic. <laughs> Luis Robles joining us here on our Red Bull weekly podcast. Luis, you know, a, a lot to unpack in what you've already told us so far. The first thing I want to ask you is you mentioned you don't miss 
playing anymore, whether it's training or the games. What I what I would like to know, though, is how you still stay connected to the game. Like, are you up to speed on what's gone on in yeah, Major yeah, League Soccer sure. in 2021? For sure, for sure. So I watch all the Red Bull games. I watch all the Inter-Miami games. Obviously, both teams have massive games tonight. And that's just to, to be completely aware of what's going on in the league because my job does involve soccer, but it's not Major League Soccer. However, the connection is, as of recently – from a business standpoint, we've been selling and looking for the right synergies with MLS clubs. And so I was just in Seattle this past week and I went to, uh, I went to Garth Lagerwey's house and we talked about my period of reinvention and, and where I'm at, as well as the products that we're selling because it very much falls in line with their playoff push and what they're selling. I've spoken with Kevin Friedman for a little bit um, about how possibly we could work together. Um, and we've reached out to most of the MLS clubs and, and some of them I have direct connections to, so I'll speak to the, the CBO or, or whoever the director of sales is. Um, but then the other ones that I don't, we, we also have a sales team. And so the sales team is, is able to connect with those people. So, yeah, very much so. Major League Soccer, I think, is going to be a huge part of my life forever. And one really cool thing happened to me last week. So I was in Seattle for a partner meeting. And one of our partners is, is a group called Premier Partnership. And the head of this group is Alan Rothenberg, right? So I'm old enough that I know who Alan Rothenberg is, but I think most people don't know who he is, right? Like anyone younger than me. I mean, Connor, maybe you know who, Connor, do you know who Alan Rothenberg is? No, yeah, I'm shaking perfect. my head, yes, but it's perfect, perfect example. So I'm 37. Connor, you went 32? 31. Don't age 31. me like that. Sorry, man. I'm oh, sorry. Sorry. It's, it's gonna so he's 31, and it's only a six-year gap, but it's just enough that he he wouldn't know who Alan is, and most people his age and younger won't. Matt, do you know who Alan Rothenberg is? Sorry, I had myself muted there for a second. I do. Uh, form, former attorney. He's been been connected to Major League Soccer since the beginning part of the game. He, uh -huh. he, his name was on the first trophy, I think, That's wasn't right. it? Wasn't it the Roth, right. Rothenberg Trophy? Yes. Yeah, so he is the head of Premier Partnerships, who's one see, of the See, I'm older than both. But this is what I'm saying. And so I'm at the right age where I'm just old enough <laughs> to know who he is, but I'm young enough to, to know that most won't. And I've seen all the things that have come past, right? Like I'm more involved with what's going on now. But it, it's really nice that I do know who that is because we went to dinner. He's the head of Premier Partnerships. They're one of our partners in this joint venture to sell the World Cup. And he's sitting down and I'm like geeked out, right? I'm so geeked out to meet this guy because he's the original. Um, he's like one of the originals, meaning that in 1984, and he told us a story. So listening, him to, listening to him over dinner tell us about how major league soccer started. I sort of liken that to like Moses reading the Torah, right? Like it's incredible who this guy is and what he's seen in the stories he's sharing. But in 1984, as a lawyer, you got that right, Matt, as a lawyer in LA, the summer Olympics was there and they needed a soccer commissioner for the event. So it came up in a meeting said, yeah, I'll do it. Whatever he volunteered that led to FIFA approaching him to bring the world cup to the United States. And then during that process, FIFA said, we need you to start a league, right? We can't just have the tournament come to the United States and there's no professional league. So Alan was part of that group who started Major League Soccer. And you are correct. The first MLS trophy 
was named after him. And he also started U.S. Soccer Foundation. So when we talk about some of the most influential people who have ever been a part of this game, he's up there, right? He's on the Mount Rushmore of, of influence when it comes to soccer in this country. So anyways, you know, I was crazy sharing that story because he was at dinner and I got to meet him. I was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And it's just another connection to Major League Soccer. Getting the education right now. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Should have known Luis is coming on here. I'm getting an education. Well, it's 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 funny that, you know, as that story, um, I, I, I referenced the answer and I have my radio partner, Steve Jolly, sitting across from me. He and I are older than both of you, so we we have yes, that definitely. connection yeah, and true. understand it. And you know, l- listen, there there's no way that the United States gets that World Cup without the formation of Major League Soccer from '94 to '96. So you mentioned Rothenberg. I mean, w- without him, there there probably there might be a Major League Soccer, but it's not going to be what it is, and probably when it started um, on top of on top of the World Cup. So Luis, to can to continue that. I remember talking to guys um, when you were a player and I, I can't remember who it was, but it, at some point it was one of those quick kind of questions. If you had to pick someone who's going to run a team at some point, who would it be? Yeah. And most people would have pointed to you. Do you see yourself getting back into the team side of things with, with major league soccer at some point? I mean, it's hard to know. It's it, I, I didn't know I was going to have this job. Right. When I retired, I was in conversation with a couple of MLS teams to start working. And I always thought it was going to be on the front office side. So then Seattle brought me in and they interviewed me for a front office position. And going through that process, I really started to think, because I was also applying to grad school, if this is the side that I wanted to be on. And the more and more I thought about it, it, it just became clear to me that's no. I want to be on the business side. I want to be building a brand. I want to be running, um, like you said, a club. Um, but then there's no way I could have known stepping into this job that I would even be exposed to a guy like Alan Rothenberg. I know that was mentioned when I interviewed, but I was thinking that was more to market the job, that these are people you could come across. And yet in that meeting, we had the CEO of the 49ers, CEO of Elevate Sports Ventures, Alan Rothenberg, who, like I said, is, is the head of Premier Partnerships. Um, well, the CRO of Match Hospitality, and of course, the CEO of my company. And I'm in this office, this meeting, I'm like, okay, I don't know why I'm here, but there's no C attached to my name. But five months ago, there's no way I could have known that I would be able to be in that meeting and I'd hear what's going on and, and try to understand the business that is the World Cup and, and what it looks like in 2026. And so I, I'm getting educated and this education is pretty awesome. And, and I do hope that there are tie-ins where I am still working with Major League Soccer or in some way I'm a part of Major League Soccer. But the one thing that has been cool is selling the World Cup has also allowed me to meet owners of MLS teams because they're going to go, right? They want to be at the tournament. They, they're they going to be buying our products. And it's just kind of, I, I remember being in New York City and I was meeting with one of the owners of an MLS team. And we talked about everything. We talked about he he went to a lot of our games, and uh, he also just mentioned he he mentioned like oh I heard you're part of the MLS Players Association, and so we got to talk about that a little bit. And I even told him was like you're almost like a mythical figure because at Red Bull I never met an owner. We never we never met the owner, 
And it's not like most guys while playing ever meet an owner. So I thought it was really cool that I was sitting here having a drink with an owner in New York City. And I've been able, because of this, to meet half a dozen of them. And hopefully at the World Cup, I, I meet even more. So, yeah, there's a lot of tie-ins. I don't necessarily know what that path looks like. But I, I hope more than anything that Major League Soccer is a huge part of this, this chapter in my life. That's awesome. I mean, that's, that's, that's awesome to hear kind of your journey. And I know kind of what, to Matt's point, I think that's exactly the direction we assume you go in is on, you know, getting control over a team right away. I mean, we see what you did with your fantasy football team. So we know you. <laughs> I never won though, remember? So I don't know if I'd be a good, uh, I'd be a good uh, head of a club. I, I lost in the finals twice. Right? Yep. I think I won the shield twice, but I'm like New York Red Bulls, dude. There you go. I'm a supporter shield winner. I just haven't, unlike you, Connor, who won multiple times, uh, I, I just never got to lift that, that, that trophy. Listen, so that's another point. I wasn't going to bring it up, but no, I did. Yeah. Matt, Luis, this year, he's got a lot going on. Yeah. And in our fantasy football group that we've talked about before, we had Lloyd on a couple weeks back. And okay. awesome. a, a big part of that conversation was fantasy football. But Luis drops a bomb in our group chat. He just says, guys, I'm, I really don't have time for fantasy football this year. I'm passing my team off. Aaron, Aaron and Tim Parker shared a team. And so he's like, I'm going to pass it off to Aaron. And then just leaves the group chat. And that was it. And we all just are just like, the baby whisper is gone. That was the name of Luis's team, but I mean, yeah, I, was, I was one of the originals, man. It was you, like you, Dax, me, Lloyd. Like we were, you know, originals there. And now it's obviously changed a lot. But I also knew that Aaron really wanted a team, and I didn't want to be a disservice to the league. I, I just, I'm not joking, and I'm not in any way trying to paint like a, another picture. I feel like fantasy football requires a certain bit of diligence. And I just knew that I couldn't bring that to the table. And if I couldn't be that competitive, the league deserves better. And so it was like this perfect, this perfect confluence of, of Alo wanting a team so badly. And then of course, you know, I just, with a new job and, and the hours required, I, I couldn't, I needed, I felt like in order for it to be fun, I had to be competitive. Connor, remember when you and I were talking before we brought Luis on, I used the word cerebral. I mean, yep. clearly there was this whole train of thought with fantasy football that nobody would have even thought about it at all. Um, it, you, you know, Luis, from a, from a perspective of, of being that person um, on and off the field, you know, the, the way you carried yourself on and off the field, I think some people would say um, quiet in, in one way, but Connor was describing you as someone that would always mix it up with teammates like fantasy football joke around, but yet you carried yourself from a, from a media fan standpoint in, in such a different way. Can you, can you get into that a little bit? Well, I think those are different, those are different platforms, right? So when you're in the locker room, especially with the leadership that Connor and I had, it was about engaging guys and turnover in major league soccer is a real thing. So when it came to being able to bring those guys into the fold, cause I mean, from 15 to, to 19, man, that, what a group. Like, what an incredible locker room we had. And I thought part of my value that I brought to the leadership portion is this idea of being able to engage people from different walks, from different age groups, from different 
um, perspectives. And this is really what I was hoping to do. And, and I felt like for the most part, it was something that I was able to grow into, to have difficult conversations. A lot of times I would have to be the one that either had to go tell Jesse something, or I would have to be the one that had to go and speak to a player. And I was okay with that. I was okay being that person. And I think it's really allowed me, it's really helped me in this transition because as a project manager now, I think from the very beginning when I was employee number one, I was like, okay, well, I'm managing myself. But now we have we have 12 employees. And by the end of this, we're going to have over 100. It really is going to require how do I meet the person where they're at to have a conversation that could be one that's positive or it could be one that's constructive. And so that's something that I learned in the locker room. And, and I think that is different than now the media because the media, you're representing more than yourself. I knew that every time I spoke, uh, I had to represent the entire locker room. I had to represent the organization. And that's something that I took a lot of pride in. I felt like it was such an honor to be able to do that. To have that responsibility was something not to be taken lightly, but I also really enjoyed it. If I'm being honest, to to be honored in that way is is not something that should ever be taken for granted. And just to be able to speak for that group, to to be the voice of the organization at times, to me was a was a real honor. Um, and and I hope that people felt that. Definitely felt that. And you know, kind of talked about how you could write the book where you talked about media training before the year and you're the one who comes up and this is how you should do it. And then you bring up with the young guys, this is how you shouldn't do it. And Luis, you pretty much wrote the book on media training, but I want to know you've uh, obviously it looks like you took the, you talk about lost weight a little bit. You took the shoulder pads off. It almost looks like, I mean, cause Luis back in, you know, the playing days it was the shoulders were built. I want to know what's going on. Obviously we're, you're working stiff now, working nine to five plus probably crazy hours. I know what it took to kind of book you for this podcast, but what are you doing in your free time? We talked to Lloyd about his Miami lifestyle. I'm sure yours is a little bit different. Yeah. I think Lloyd and I have a very different experience of Miami, right? Very different. So my office is, is actually in Miami, but I don't live in Miami. I actually live in Boca. So it's a, the town I live in is Parkland, which is right next to Boca. And it's, in the morning, it's about an hour and 10 to get here. And then in the evening, because of traffic going the other way, it's about an hour and 20. So whatever free time I do have, because even when I get home, um, I've been coaching my son's team, right? So that takes out part of my evening. And then my daughters, they're fully into dance. So really my free time is my kids. And then whatever time that when we put them to bed, which is around, around nine, I try to have a glass of wine with my wife. And then I'm probably usually working a little bit more before I go to sleep because a lot of my business contacts and network that I'm working with is in Qatar, which is seven hours uh, ahead of us. And so it's not like I'm going to wake up super early in the morning to make some of those, um, to send some of those messages. So I just do it right before I go to sleep. So they see it in the morning when I wake up on my way in, I can continue the conversation. So there, it, I, I'm not trying to oversell any of it. Um, it's pretty, I love it. Like, and this is what my wife, my wife and I were talking about last night is, is I really love what's going on right now. I really love my job and what I'm a part of, uh, all the different details of it, which is, uh, allowed me, like, I keep saying this word reinvention, but that's what it is, is because I have to teach myself to, to think differently and to also understand that there's things I'm not going to know and it's okay. Right. I, I may make a mistake. That's fine. But I also have the humility to just go and ask, like, how can this be done? There's people who have been doing this for a lot longer than me. 
And if I can just even make the right ask and glean from that information, I think everyone in the end is going to be better. So this is, it, it's been great. It's been a great six months. Um, and I'm really excited because World Cup's 13 months away and that's when the full production happens. And I think that's when I mean, it's going to be amazing. I always thought I was going to go to the World Cup as a player. Now I'm going as a, a project manager, which is fine. Uh, but it, it's going to be a great event. Love that. And that's what we want. We want to see you happy, Luis, and it appears that way. And you're even talking about you can you can sense the passion. So we're excited for you, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. What about you, Connor? Luis, no, I got to flip this around. Like, how's I'm, it going I'm sorry. Go ahead. I mean, I mean, right before I got on this interview, I just I, I clicked over to the website to see what's going on. And there's Connor. They announced a new training facility. Of course, it's in his backyard, which is incredible. But I mean, what better person to just really be the face of that project? You know, one of the first homegrowns, one of the first academy players. Um, I guess, were you a homegrown? No, you weren't a homegrown. Were you a homegrown? Yeah. Oh, this is amazing, right? So like literally everything about that project is you. And you can speak to it. You can sell it. You can market it. But more than anything, you could really just testify that this works. And that's the other thing that I actually didn't talk about from from a locker room standpoint. Our locker room, I don't know if you guys have noticed, got really young. Right. Got really, yeah. really young. Yeah. And it would be easy at times to just allow that chasm to exist. There's the young guys and there's the vets. And I think one of my roles was to bridge that, was to make sure that that didn't happen. And in a very organic way, part of that just evolved. And then in a very methodical way, I felt like I was a part of that. I felt like Connor very much was a part of that too, because they thought he was probably the same age as him. Connor's <laughs> never going to age, uh, which is amazing. Um, but so when I look at that and I, I see the person that is doing that, I just like, honestly, like Connor, there's, there's no one better for that project. There's no one better to, to speak to that. And I hope that that pipeline that is sort of that tri-state area continues to benefit because you're a part of it. Well, that's the idea. I mean, I think Luis, thank you, obviously. And I mean, like we're going to go and compliment each other for the next like 20 minutes. So that's just, Matt, just romance. We're, yeah. We're going to, we're going to throw some compliments your way as well, but no, it's exciting. Obviously, super exciting time. I mean, you've we've been through it as well. You sh- you came to Red Bull and we're training at Montclair State University. That's right, and with then, the geese. Tw- yeah, exactly. 2013. I mean, we're thrilled. We got the new facility, mm-hmm. and we're just this is incredible. Perfect place, professional yeah. atmosphere, but this one's just gonna blow it out of the water. I mean, 80 I, acres, right? I read it's 80 acres. That's yeah. incredible. And eight fields. I I know you might think I had some pull in it. I, I didn't, although the commute is going to be about probably over under a minute and a half. That's so incredible. it's it's very exciting, um, yeah. exciting time. And we're definitely going to get you up here. We're going to have you put on some clinics for our young goalkeepers up here because yeah. you're a big I haven't put the gloves on since I retired. I haven't put the gloves on. Listen, he doesn't need an ACL to hold the probably the best goalkeeper clinic that we would be able to put on up here. But we're definitely going to get you up here. It's it's going to be an exciting project, and obviously for the area, it's super exciting to have a a, a more permanent home to really continue mm-hmm. to develop uh, the next yeah. generation. So I'm excited to be a part of it. And obviously, yeah. uh, we've got a lot of little goalkeeper areas. I don't know if you've seen the map, but we got little sections that you would have really awesome. liked. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it makes sense, right? Because we're the ones that that Dan hates because we're tearing up the area. Um, But it also, I think just speaks to, to Red Bull's investment, right? For anyone that ever thinks that they have one foot in and one foot out to make an investment like that 
it just it squashes all of that. So I hope that they continue to, to make those sort of investments because it shows not only where they see this club in their portfolio, but where they see this league going. And I think that's the part about Major League Soccer that's always excited me is it's a very progressive league. It's a league that is still in the early innings. And to be a part of that is is really an incredible experience as a player. I think, Connor, where you're at from your vantage point, it's going to be, you know, mind-blowing as well. But you see all the – and that was the thing is in 2013, we had this new facility. We're like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. But then you see the next one pop up, and it's better. Then you see the next one pop up. And then we go to LAFC, and we're like, oh, my gosh, this is unreal. Then we go to Atlanta and I, and like, this is like an NFL training facility. And then you see what's going on in Columbus and Cincinnati. And and so it, it's great. I mean, Inter-Miami. Inter-Miami is unbelievable. So uh, it's great to see where this league is going. And, and something like this only continues to affirm that – the investments made by these owners is only going to continue to prop up the league and the trajectory is a, is a very positive one. Luis, let's, uh, let, let's finish with this one to wrap up. As we mentioned, we'll, let's bring it full circle. We mentioned as we record today, it's the anniversary of the 2013 shield win. I think a couple of days ago was the 15 shield win. And then you've got the 18 one in your time with Red Bull. If you had to pick one of them, because you referenced in an earlier answer, how fun the dynamic was between 15 and 18 within the locker room and the tightness of the group, which one would you, would you pick as the, as the most special of the three? It's like asking which kid you love more. They're just so different. The experiences are just so different because in 2013 we were chasing Seattle and we basically, cause I remember in the middle of summer, we were like below the playoff line. And then we went on this incredible unbeaten streak where I think we're like 9-0-6 to finish the season. And that's why we won the Shield. I don't remember if those are exact numbers, but it was something like that. And then 2015, we had a group that felt like the island of misfit toys. Like we got cast off, you know, no one was talking about us. And all of a sudden, we just had this incredible chemistry within this group that if we were ever going to win it, it was that year. And then unfortunately, eight seconds changed everything. But that was our year. 2015 was our year. We had a special group. We had a great group, guys that that just, it really felt like a brotherhood. But then 2018, for us to win that against Atlanta was also pretty remarkable. We had to win every single game down the stretch, and we won five straight games. We beat Atlanta at Red Bull Arena. I think it was 2-0. And, and just for all of it to work out, we set so many records along the way. I think we set the most wins, the most points. Um yeah, I mean they're they're all incredible for their different reasons, and and if you really ask me which one was was truly remarkable, I think fifteen just because that group that group was a really special group. That was the sort of group that you really wish we could have had a couple more runs with it because it wasn't even necessarily the guys who were making all the plays on the field. It was just from from top to bottom the sort of group that um, you just knew could do something special and. Gosh, we were so close. You know, we were, that was a pretty incredible night in Chicago when we won. I mean, that was, that was awesome. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know what? I'm going to say 15. I think 15 is pretty incredible. Agreed. And you've broke, you've broke me, you've broke media training. You actually gave the answer. You were doing so well along the way of just kind of really yeah. dancing around Not, the question. I, I, and then it just turns point. out I like my middle child more. That's just. <laughs> Luis, thanks so much for coming on and giving us some time here today. It was great to catch up um, as this Red Bull team kind of makes a playoff push to be able to 
revisit on some of the moments that you shared with this team and organization. Um, it was good to see you. Good to catch up. And, and I'm sure you can continue with Connor. You guys can keep trading compliments back and forth between each other. And um, we'll, we'll, we'll be able to do this again sometime. And as Connor said, hopefully we can get you up to the new training facility uh, to kind of christen that in when it gets done. It'll be incredible. I love that. Thanks for having me, guys. It's great seeing you. I, I'm going to throw a little tease, but we got some stuff planned for next year. So just no, stay cool. tuned. Stay yeah, tuned. Awesome. So. Yeah, hopefully we're not dealing with COVID anymore, right? Yeah, we're going to have to get you back up to RBA next year. And maybe we'll have yeah. some things planned for you. <laughs> Connor, what, what a – Okay, all right. What a, what a I, I, didn't, I didn't catch that in the beginning. Um, but all right, cool. Sounds very nice. Not, nothing crazy, but it was just yeah. – it'll be fun. It'll be all fun. Right. That's awesome. Well, that, thank you guys. It's that'll really wrap up awesome another, to see this. Good to see you too, Luis. That'll wrap up another edition of Red Bull Weekly. Our thanks to Luis Robles. Uh, for the rest of us here on the Red Bull Radio side of things, Connor Laid, my podcast partner. I'm Matt Harmon. Um, we'll talk to you again next week, hopefully after New York continues to stay above the playoff line. We'll